Hello and welcome to Chasing Himalayan Dreams, the podcast. My name is Susan and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Chasing Himalayan Dreams. Have you had dreams you put aside? Do you feel a hiking adventure in the Himalayas is a mountain too far? I believe you can do it if you have a moderate fitness and an inability to let your dreams go. This podcast brings you the book. Every episode is a chapter, like an audiobook. I'm using text-to-speech technology to create every episode. So do start listening and enjoy. Hustle. We're each of us alone, to be sure. What can you do but hold your hand out in the dark? Ursula Le Guin. Week Zero. The time for clammy palms, racing heart and itchy feet. It's the launch pad, because all treks are a crusade, a disconnection and a threat to the comfort zone. Before the plunge into the wilds, I connect with India and friends in Bangalore. Friends in non-intersecting groups mean many calls, texts and relentless messages. I plan, and make backup plans, to connect with as many as possible to avoid the burning wrath of the ignored Indian friend. A cousin's birthday means that I can eat, far too much, delectable fare without the fear of food poisoning. And catch up with family news, new babies and new enterprises. No street food, no spicy chaat, no raw food. A price to pay, but my insides stayed clean and uninfected and my gut bacteria thanked me. Remember that baggage I packed and checked off a list? Left behind in Melbourne or Singapore by the airline, it took three days to catch up. It was good that we hadn't planned to set off on the trek direct from the airport. There was a smidgen of stress in week zero, but I was grateful to be able to laugh over it with friends rather than stress alone in a hotel. The buffer time on either side of the trek was a lifesaver. The alternative was to travel with only carry-on baggage but I needed formal clothes for weddings and Ugg boots for long evenings by the fire. Yes, I carried my Ugg boots. Small luxuries go a long way on a hike. The extra days meant languorous mornings sipping tea or coffee, wondering when the squirrels would drop the next green mango on my head and rushing out to buy fish from the street vendor. After being away from India, my concerns that I might feel like a stranger were forgotten. Even though I knew Darjeeling, a long time ago, I need the emotional recharge for the mountain-sized challenge ahead. In week zero we finalize our complicated internal itinerary. In the early morning, the next day we walk among iconic landscapes from an old Bollywood blockbuster, Sholay. Grey granite outcrops punctuate the sky in what was then the first violent crime saga movie. No fiercely mustachioed villains or murderous decoits lurk in the quiet countryside today as we admire the forestry department's replanting schemes, and wander through fields and groves. We are no longer the rather wild city girls we were thirty years ago. Was that a mask? Or is this present face a mask? That evening we bump along quiet country roads lined with paddy fields and coconut palms before strolling into a walled courtyard lined with wine barrels with old grey cobblestones underfoot. An unexpected evening with wine tasting, and delectable, Indian, food was the right touch for removing all traces of jet lag. The silly pictures of me leaning against huge bottles of Sula wine provide much amusement on social media. On Sunday I drive to Cubbon Park at 6am, magic. Bangalore has transformed back to its old self. The tree-lined streets are broad and quiet without the strident squealing of brakes and angry hooting of horns. The familiar suburbs and buildings emerge from the smog and traffic. At Cubbon Park, 
Queen Victoria and King George looked down on their erstwhile colonial subjects contorting themselves in yoga classes or Bharat Natyam in the bandstand. I meet ex-colleagues there in the early morning. Ash, a fitness freak arranged this and after an hour's walk we meet up with more friends for breakfast at Woodlands Hotel. I peek at Ash's list, divided into eaters and walkers. We meet with the eaters at Woodlands Hotel for a delicious South Indian buffet breakfast. Piles of fluffy white rice cakes or idlis, golden donut-shaped lentil dumplings or vadas, mounds of fragrant upmar with green curry leaves threaded through it, with bowls of red, green and white chutneys. And all the while crispy brown dosas are rushed direct to our table by earnest waiters on a mission to feed the hungry. Meeting friends in Cubbon Park followed by South Indian breakfast is a special kind of Bangalore magic. Is friendship a genetic thing? Processing photos on my return. I found a photo with four generations of friends and four generations of relatives enjoying an evening packed with love, laughter and food. I'm not sure about the teenagers hiding in front of the TV, though they did come out for the food. In our 50s and 60s our friendship circles increase in depth. While some of us still have our mums, many of us are grandmothers ourselves. And there are friends who had lost their partners, and it felt strange that the other wasn't there. It seems the men, if they're in stressful jobs, seem to go faster than us women. I hope you enjoyed this chapter of my book. If you liked it, send me a message or let me know. You can find the ebook or print book on Amazon. Also, there's a free book of Himalayan mandalas for you to color in on my website susanjaganath.com/freebies. Keep listening. 